Hello, welcome to Teach the Word. Uh, this is uh, the sermon series through First Peter, and this is number five, I believe. Um, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we love you. <sighs> Open your word to us. Let your word shine into our hearts and to our minds, and where there's darkness, um, we want to be illuminated. We want your light to shine on dark places. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, uh, yeah, week uh, five of seven uh, First Peter sermons. So, in in uh, the first sermon was uh, looking at how uh, through faith God has given us salvation, and also through faith our relationship with Him is protected in the here and now, while we're experiencing every kind of imaginable suffering and trial. Uh, week two, God has called the church to be a holy people in the midst of a perverse world. He is living and active and growing in us, producing the fruit of holiness. And then week three, the church is like a stone building. Um, that's an analogy that's used. And talk about holiness and our relationship with the government. And then Peter goes on and starts talking about holiness and our relationship with our employers and employees and holiness in our relationship with our wives and our husbands in the home, at work and in the home. And that was last week. So now we are in chapter 3, verse 8. Um, and we'll go through the end of chapter 3 today. So we can begin by reading it. Finally, all of you, so 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing, for he who would love life and see good days Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype of baptism, an antitype which... There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, 
not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So, there's kind of a few, uh, maybe, thought sections here. Um, and I think at the, the first one here is having to do with the fear of the Lord, or holiness, or the fear of the Lord in general. Uh, so let's go, let's just kind of go through it. Um, you know, you could, you could uh, break it up you know, differently, but it's somewhat arbitrary, but I'm thinking that uh, we're starting off talking about living in the fear of the Lord, and then we move into uh, suffering, uh, basically. That's how I would break it up. So let's look at verse 8. Let's go verse by verse. So you got this unity, uh, you know, be of one mind. That's unity, uh, compassion, love. Uh, tenderness, courtesy, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Those are pretty uh, high high call. L- unity, compassion, love, tenderness, courtesy. Um, you know, that doesn't really sound to me like somebody who's uh, concerned about getting their way. doesn't sound to me like somebody who's uh, up in the arms about their rights. Um, it sounds to me uh, like somebody who is... Um, really a surrendered in a state of surrender to God, his will, and wanting to be him to others. Um, but the real question is, does this sound like me? Be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. That's bringing the word of God to bear in my heart. Does that sound like me? Um, or do I sound like, like uh, the next verse? Uh, returning evil for evil and reviling for violating. Uh, that's not what I want to sound like, but that could sound like me. Um, but blessing, that's what I want to be. I want to be the one who gives back blessing. No matter what people are dishing out to me, I'm called as a, as a believer in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, not my own strength, to return blessing. And Why? No, verse 9 says, not evil, not reviling, but blessing. Why do I return blessing? Because I was called to this. That's what I was called. It's not entirely clear what this is. I think it is. I was called to return blessing in the face of receiving evil and receiving reviling. Um, it could be read that I'm called to receive, <clears throat> to return blessing, or it could be read that I'm called to receive reviling and, and uh, evil, but... I think it's both. I'm called to return blessing in the face of evil. So that that's why, because Christ has called me to that, called me for that purpose. And there's another little bit here. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So I'm called to suffer, to, to be given, to be treated ill, and uh, return blessing in the present, and in the future, I will inherit a blessing. So that's why. That's why I return a blessing, because I'm called to to do so. 
and I'm going to inherit blessing. So I don't need to be stuck in the evil and the reviling, and I don't need to focus on that because that's not my ultimate end. My ultimate end is inheriting a blessing, and I can live, uh, in a sense, above the evil and the reviling that I'm receiving. That's the call of Christ to his children. Huh. So, um, real question is, which sounds like me under stress? Um, is it the evil, the reviling, or the blessing? Uh, the prayer to God through the power of the Holy Spirit is that I'm going to be the one giving back blessing, not evil, not reviling when I'm under stress. And I know that in my flesh, Daniel is going to give back evil and he's going to give back reviling. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can give back blessing. And that's the beautiful truth. Um, so then we uh, we get this long quote. Uh, 10, 11, and 12 are a quoting Psalm 34. Uh, four verses out of Psalm 34, verses uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, and then half of 16. So four and a half verses of Psalm uh, 34 are quoted right here in a long quote. Um, in let's let's just pull this up more so we can see it. Whoops. So get that. To, okay. So in in the this by the way is the second time in in the letter so far that Peter's referenced back to Psalm 34 in uh, the very beginning of chapter two when he's urging them to earnestly uh, to, to desire that pure milk of the word so they can grow. He says. He alludes to verse 8 of the psalm, which is just a little before the part he's quoting here, where he says, If you indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious. That's an allusion to verse 8, Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? So <clears throat> this part, which is a kind of one stanza of the psalm, thought-wise, basically in the context of the psalm is a definition of the fear of the Lord. So if we were to jump, how Peter quotes it and how it appears in, in uh, the psalm itself is very, very similar. So let's just jump over to the psalm. We'll go to Psalm 34 uh, to verse, uh, what is it, verse 12. And why don't, why don't we look at it there? Something something went wrong. Put a B instead of a space. Um, so we got to get rid of that. So you see the, if you go to 11, which is right before where he starts quoting, he says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And and I, I see what falls as basically the teaching of what the fear of the Lord is, or, or in a sense, a, a elongated definition of the fear of the Lord. And that's what Peter's quoting. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil. So let's bounce back to Peter. We can read it from Peter. Who He, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. That's what it means to fear the Lord. So that's the, the emphasis, I think, in this section. If I'm fearing the Lord, I'm not going to be returning the evil and the reviling. I'm going to be returning the blessing. If I'm fearing the Lord, I'm refraining my tongue from evil. My lips aren't speaking deceit. I'm turning away from evil. I'm doing good. I'm seeking peace and pursuing it. And there's reward in that. Remember, Peter's just saying, but you're going to inherit a blessing. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. He's here to help us in our efforts to fear him. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if we just were to, I don't know, kind of 
Think about that. That's it. Loving life, desiring to see good days, the fearing the Lord is those things. And um, it's not speaking evil. It's not lying. It's not doing evil. It's doing good. It's pursuing peace. And then you see in verse 12, why should I fear the Lord? Because the Lord helps those who do, and he opposes those who don't. Um, and then Peter goes on, verse 13, sir, some other reasons about why I should fear the Lord. Uh, basically, people don't usually harm you for fearing the Lord. Because when you're fearing the Lord, you're doing good. You're doing what God created you to be doing as a human being. And people don't usually harm you for that, but they all, sometimes they do. And, and that's where well, verse 14, even uh, when they do harm you for fearing the Lord, you're going to be blessed. Because you're fearing the Lord. There's a blessing in it. But if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Then we get here uh, a quote, end of 14, another quote uh, from a place Peter has visited earlier in the letter. And that is uh, Isaiah 8. So earlier, where was it? Um, Chapter 2, verse 8, when he's talking about stones, the, the stone building analogy of Jesus the Christ as the stone upon which people are crushed and, and stumble. He quotes two verses earlier than this quote. So this is Isaiah 8, uh, 12, or so two verses later. So this is Isaiah 8, 12 here in verse 14 of chapter 3. and verse 8 of chapter 2, he quotes uh, 14. Uh, just the same passage, just a little later. And it's the same idea. And that is that, uh, well, why don't we look at Isaiah? I mean, this is what this is what's in Peter's mind as he's writing, in his recipient's mind as they're reading, and ought to be in our mind as we're trying to think about it. So this is a, a poetic section right after um, a little bit of a short uh, narrative here. Basically, there's a political turmoil in the kingdom of Israel, and nobody really knows who's... Uh, for the current king or who's against him and who's trying to overthrow him with the neighboring uh, monarchs who are trying to overthrow the current king and set up their puppet king. So there's there's threats and accusations of conspiracy around every corner. And so God's saying, do not say a conspiracy concerning all this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. What's not being afraid of their threats and troubled is Isaiah is trying to preach speak the truth of God, and people are telling him to go fly a kite, stop preaching, they don't want to hear it. And God's telling Isaiah, don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Fear the Lord. See verse 13, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hollow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary to you, Isaiah, but to those who are opposing you, who do not fear him, he will be a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And that's that's what Jesus is to those who reject him. And that's why Peter quoted that in chapter 2. So if we bounce back to fe- uh, chapter 3 of Peter, we see, uh, right now we're in Psalm. Uh, here we are. Chapter, uh, I went back too far. We see how this quote kind of reinforces this theme about the fear of the Lord. Those who are suffering for righteousness sake and doing good are the ones who are fearing the Lord. They have the, set up the Lord in their hearts as they're, they've howled him. He is their dread. 
just just like we see in verse 15, he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's hollow him in your hearts, just like we saw in Isaiah, fear him. Um, and those who do not fear him are going to persecute those who, fe- who are fearing the Lord. That's why the command is do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled because God's going to oppose them. He'll take care of them. You return a blessing. Uh, so if we look at 15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's uh, hollow him, may, uh, fear him, basically, fear the Lord. And uh, uh, other translations say, hold Christ and Christ alone as Lord, basically. That's the idea. Only fear him, not those who are threatening you. Um, and then the second part of this verse 15 is being ready to give a defense of the, for the hope that is in you um, to those who ask. That's not, it's not saying to everyone because uh, those who aren't asking probably aren't interested in hearing. Um, be ready to give a defense of the hope that is in you to those who ask um, is the idea here. And tell them why we have hope in God. Why do I fear the Lord? Why do I hold on to him? Even if I'm being, being uh, if I'm going against the grain and I'm being persecuted for it, why am I giving back a blessing and why am I holding on to God? People might ask, well, why? And that's when I need to be ready to tell them why I have this hope in God. And I have to do it with meekness and fear. That's respect. Meekness and fear. Uh, res- respect. Just like I would respect the Lord, I have to respect the person I'm talking to. Um, then we look into verse 16. We have this thing about having a good conscience. So if I'm living in hope, the hope of God, and I'm responding to those who are questioning why I have that hope in meekness and fear, um, I'm able to have a good conscience. Uh, What's it mean to have a good conscience? Basically, they accuse me of doing evil, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not in fear because the accusations have nothing to hold on to. It can't stick because I'm not ashamed of my living because I'm living how God wants me to live. So the accusations that of, of evil, I don't have to worry. Um, not having a good conscience would be I'm accused and I'm in the wrong. Um, and so I have to kind of, my conscience isn't clean. Uh, but if if I don't have evil in my life, um, they can't. They can only slander my good conduct. That's what Peter's Peter's saying is basically. They're just. They, there's no. There's nothing. There's no. They can say you're doing X, but you're not. So they're really just slandering your good conduct, and basically, that's suffering uh, for doing good, um, and being accused for doing good. And that's what we're called to. We're called to fear the Lord, and basically. If you look, you're going down into verse, I'm, I'm, I'm way, where are we now? Verse 17. This is, this is, uh, this is what Peter is, is asking the recipients to do is to, if, since it's God's will for, they're called to return good for evil, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing evil than for doing good. So it's so much better to have a clean conscience. So when I'm getting flack, it's not because of the evil I'm doing, but it's because of the good I'm doing. 
There's no, there's no, there's no goodness in suffering for my own, my evil actions, but in suffering when I'm doing good, there's a blessing in that. That's the whole point of this section. I would say somewhere in here, we're kind of transitioning out of this fear of the Lord section and we're kind of moving into this. What does it mean to be Christ? What What is the work that Christ did on the cross, his suffering on the cross and how that kind of connects with our suffering here on the earth? Um, so if we look now, now, where are we now? We must be in verse 18. So he's saying, just like Christ suffered innocently uh, for doing good, um, he didn't do evil, but he suffered just like Christ did. Um, that's what we're supposed to do. And by the way, Christ doing that was a really, really good thing. Lots of good stuff came from that. He brought us to God. His physical death uh, wasn't the end. He was made alive by the Spirit of God. That was a really good thing, being made alive by the Spirit of God. Because he was made alive by the Spirit of God, he, he brought us to God. That's it. He, he died once for sins. He was just, we're unjust, and we're separated from God. So we see in verse uh, 18 that his suffering brought us to God. That's salvation. Christ bringing us to God, bridging the gap. So he died in the flesh, but he was resurrected by the Spirit of God. Physical death, made alive by the Spirit of God. Alive again physically. And also, if you go into verse 19, by God's Spirit. He went and he preached to spirits in prison. These are spirits who were disobedient in the book of Genesis during the days of Noah when the ark was being prepared. The ark is a uh, analogous to Christ's, the salvation Christ offers because the ark offered salvation. Um, for we're now we're looking at verse uh, 20, right? So this ark was being prepared. And eight people were saved, and they were saved through water. Meaning, actually, they weren't actually saved through water. They were saved, the, the, the destruction came by water, but they were saved in the boat. But the idea is, he's drawing a parallel, two parallels. One, the first parallel is uh, water. The flood destroyed the earth. Water's involved in, in, uh, in uh, the... Uh, Salvation Christ offers in the baptism, right? The water washed away all the filth from planet Earth. Well, the, the baptism, baptismal waters of Christ, in a in a sense, wash away the filth of of this world, wash away our old man. So that's one analogy he's drawing, and the other is just straight up salvation. In that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection brought salvation to us. We were, we were the unjust, we were the sinners who were brought near to God, right? Well, the ark saved eight righteous people from death and destruction. So there's salvation through the ark and salvation through Christ. And there's cleansing through baptism and there's cleansing through the flood. So a couple, couple analogies, maybe it's hard to follow, but basically um, let's try to, let's try not to get the rail here. So we were, where were we? We were in verse 20, right? So, so by God's spirit, Christ went and he preached to uh, spirits who were disobedient uh, during 
the time that Noah was preparing the ark. It's not really clear who these spirits were, um, whether they were uh, human spirits, those who the, the, the sinful people who refused to enter the ark, or if they were evil and satanic spirits who were deceiving the earth and that were bound by God. Um, it's not, nobody really knows. You know, the, the, uh, what is meant by this interpretation, you know, the jury's out on it, but there is, there is reference in the flood passages in Genesis, particularly in Genesis six at the beginning of the chapter, uh, to, um, uh, spiritual beings or perhaps intermixed spiritual, physical beings who are in rebellion against God. And, uh, if you were to dig into, Midrash and into uh, the historical interpretation of that passage in Judaism and and uh, the early church and dig around. I'm sure you could find that uh, Peter's idea linked back to that group of people, but nobody really knows. So I'm just I'm just we're just laying it out there that the idea is that Christ went to preach to those who had refused to accept. Uh, the salvation offered by Noah. They were those who were against God, and he went and he preached victory. The idea that if it were the uh, the Nephilim, uh, would be the the rebellious, angelic, half angelic, half uh, human uh, beings. Uh, it would be um, it would come full circle or make sense, like according to like the uh, the traditional interpretation is that the Nephilim. So God in the Garden of Eden promised a seed. So salvation through the seed of the woman, right? The seed is the promising theme. And uh, in the Genesis narrative, there's a crisis event where the seed of the woman that is supposed to bring uh, about uh, vindication uh, for the human race on the serpent, on the devil who who uh, had deceived them in the garden. And so they were cast out and sin entered the world. The world broke because of the devil's deception, right? Uh, but God promised salvation, that the world would one day be fixed, uh, that there would be, uh, things would be renewed through the seed of the woman. So the idea was that uh, in Genesis 6, in the, in, the, in the Genesis narrative, there's an attempt, again, by Satan, the satanic forces, the evil side, to uh, stop the potential for the salvation, to threaten the seed, the purity of the seed, right? So they are, they are uh, trying to intermingle uh, to, to dilute the human seed. So they're m intermingling with the human women is the idea of, 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 of these evil be spiritual beings are intermingling with the human women and they're trying to dilute or pollute the, the seed. And so basically God comes down and says, well, they, this isn't going to happen. I'm, I'm stepping in and the flood cleanses the earth and, and a righteous group, the eight, who have not been diluted are preserved, right? So the idea is, what would what would Christ be doing when he descends down to preach to these locked up spirits? If if you're following the thought pattern of that uh, uh, tradition of understanding the text, uh, which is <clears throat> a old historical uh, has a long, rich history, this tradition of understanding the Genesis narrative. If you're following that thought pattern, what Peter's talking about is Christ went down to preach and said. I did it. I'm the seed. I'm the righteous seed. I came. I was crucified. I've brought about the restoration. I have purchased by my death. I've purchased the restoration, the redemption. People are being brought back to God. What you tried to do in diluting the human seed 
you failed. So he's in a sense he's going down letting him know we won, you lost, kind of thing. Um that would be that would be a way of understanding it. But like I said, it's 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 not clear who who those spirits are that Peter's talking about. Um and you know, you could never like rest on it and say this is this is what it means and and not have uh you know, and have have uh, any a degree of certainty. You can you can think one's the be- a better or a worse interpretation or meaning, but that's about all you can get. But let's not get bogged down on that. Let's let's get let's get back to applying the word of God to our lives. So we are saved. So if we're if we go to twenty one, we see this thing about the type or the antitype, uh, and that is that. Where's twenty one? This is the antitype. Uh, of our our salvation in, in this era, in their era, salvation was through entering the ark to be saved from the floodwaters. Well, in our era, salvation is through putting our faith in Jesus Christ and, and crying out to God uh, to receive the blessing of the work Jesus has done on the cross for us. Salvation is through Jesus's blood, not through the ark. Today, we're not getting on a boat to escape a flood. We're we're being covered by a sacrificial blood of a perfect human to escape the consequence, the wrath to be poured out for our own sins, right? So in this current salvation, though, the flood, which washed all the filth away from the earth, washed away the the, the a scheme to dilute the human seed, washed away corruption, that flood uh, is, very, is analogous. It's a type of what happens today is baptism. After salvation, there's the public declaration of uh, my allegiance to God, and I'm dipped into the water, and I come back up, and I'm come back up, sanctified, uh, positionally. Obviously, I I am not sanctified. In, in, <clears throat> there's a process of sanctification, but positionally, in God's eyes, I am whole. I'm washed clean. I am no longer spotted and blemished. That's the idea of the salvation that Christ has purchased. And I have to walk into that through the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's the idea of the analogy between the flood and baptism, washing away filth. Um, so, so by Christ's resurrection, our, our consciences, in a sense, are spiritually washed clean, just like the flood physically washed the world clean. So the earth was physically cleaned, cleansed, our consciences are spiritually cleansed. Um, so then we get to verse 22, where we're talking about the basically the meaning of the resurrection. That's how the chapter ends, and that's where we'll stop, stop today. But the meaning of the resurrection is Christ is in heaven. He's at God's right hand, and he is above all angels, authorities, and powers. They're all made subject to him, even, the, even, the, even Satan, right? And so... That's the meaning of the resurrection. Christ is risen means Christ, our, our Savior, the one whom we serve, the one who has purchased us from death and destruction from the enemy's camp by his blood. He's in charge. He's enthroned above all other authority. The name of Christ, upon which name we bear on our heads, so to speak, is, above, is the name that is above all names. That's the meaning of the resurrection. So, <clears throat> application. How do, how do I apply this to my life? Well, 
how do I suffer? How, how do I do with the fear of the Lord? Am I returning a blessing? That's, that's Peter's main ch- charge to them is in suffering, return a blessing. And underst- And I guess a- another point of application is, do I get the gospel? Do I understand the gospel that I bear the name? I- I'm called by a name that is above all names. Do I really grasp that? Um, that's our application, I would say. And our challenge, what's our challenge? What's a takeaway we can take away? Bless. Be a blessing. God, empower and enable me to be a blessing in each and every one of my human interactions this week, today. Why don't we pray that prayer in the morning, tomorrow morning. God, enable me to be a blessing today. God, enable me to bear your name on my head today and understand, keep conscious in my mind what it means to bear the name of Christ. Let's do that. Abba, we love you. We want to be your people. We want to bear your name. We want to be a blessing. We thank you for who you are. We come before you and we bow the knee and we say, we love you. Let us be a blessing. Let us know what it means when we walk into situations that are troublesome and desperate and in need of healing. Let us know what it means to bear your name, to be called by your name, to hold the name that is above all names. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining, and have a good one. Come back next time.